This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Democracy scholars look on Nigeria as really more of a competitive authoritarian state. Formal democratic institutions, through the means of elections, are seen as the primary way of obtaining political power. That's Matthew Page, one-time top U.S. intelligence analyst for Nigeria, basically saying that winning elections in Nigeria is winning control of the country's wealth and keeping it largely for the elite. Details coming up also. Burkina Faso says the death toll from extremist attack on an army unit has risen to 51. The African Union is preparing a national reconciliation conference for Libya to help restore stability in the country. And Botswana is assessing the impact of trophy hunting. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. A seminal event on the African political landscape happens when Nigerians vote Saturday for their next president and National Assembly. As is the norm in the West African giant, voting will take place in a climate of instability. But as Darren Taylor reports, there is also a sense of hope that the outcome will strengthen democracy in Africa's largest economy and most populous nation. The All Progressives Congress, the APC administration of outgoing President Muhammadu Buhari, couldn't contain rising insecurity across Nigeria. In the north, extremists continue to wage terror. In the south, violent cults and kidnapping for ransom are growing. Nigeria remains one of the most corrupt societies, according to watchdog organizations. It has immense oil wealth, yet its own statistics bureau says 63% of the 220 million people are poor. Nigeria's democracy is in trouble. It's not a full democracy. It's not a particularly healthy democracy in many ways. Matthew Page is a fellow at the Chatham House think tank and a non-resident fellow at Nigeria's Center for Democracy and Development. From 2003 to 2016, he was the U.S. government's top intelligence analyst on Nigeria. Democracy scholars look on Nigeria as really more of a competitive authoritarian state. Formal democratic institutions, through the means of elections, are seen as the primary way of obtaining political power. However, politicians, incumbents violate the rules of the game so often and to such an extent that the regime itself fails to meet minimum standards of democracy. Basically, says Page, winning elections in Nigeria means winning control of the country's wealth and keeping it largely for the elite. One candidate promising to end this status quo is the Labour Party's Peter Obi. According to analysts, the 61-year-old wealthy businessman and former state governor is the first candidate to emerge to challenge the dominance of Nigeria's big two parties. The APC and People's Democratic Party, the PDP, have had a hold on Nigeria since its return to civilian rule in 1999. Cynthia Mbamalu, founder of Nigerian civil society group Yaga Africa, says former APC member Obi 
will be counting on a specific block of voters. The moment he moved to the Labour Party, it seemed to have inspired this spark, and we had younger people connect with him. We had increase of youth registration, young people looking for a candidate to support, and then there was this individual who seemed to present a position that he was challenging the existing patronage system, he was challenging the establishment, and he was... Page says the polls will be a test of strength for Nigeria's kleptocratic ruling class. Will they retrench decisively and maintain their hold on the system? Or will they face a strong challenge from candidates that enjoy the support of younger Nigerians? Nigerians maybe who are more progressive and focused on developing the country rather than hooking into the patronage-driven political system. For Page... Two groups could merge as the most important section of the electorate. He calls them makers and millennials. Makers, he says, are wealthier, better educated Nigerians of all ages who want to innovate and invest in their country. They are demanding good governance. According to Page, the millennials are younger Nigerians of all classes, alienated by state abuses and bad governance. Is this group's political influence on the rise? And if so, does that foreshadow a much-needed inflection point in Nigeria's democratic trajectory? The analyst views the election as a chance for Nigeria's democracy to send a proof-of-life message to the world, or another opportunity for its traditional elite to carry on as before, with millions of Nigerians continuing to sink into poverty and the country never reaching its full potential. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Burkina Faso's military says the death toll from a jihad attack on a Burkina Faso army unit in the north of the country last week has risen to at least 51 after 43 new bodies were found. The military unit was ambushed in the Sahel region's Odalan province between the towns of Diu and Orsi. The Burkinabi military said Monday that reinforcements have been sent to the area and an unspecified number of wounded have been taken to hospital. The West African nation has been racked for seven years by violence linked to militant groups which has killed thousands, displaced nearly two million people and caused a humanitarian crisis. On VOA Africa Radio, we let the sound tell you the story. News, sports, science and entertainment, available to you 24-7. Tune in on your local FM stations. We are also available on the medium waves, 909 kHz and 1530 kilohertz. Our short waves are 6080, 15580, 4930, 15165, 15580, and 17530 kHz. VOA Africa, your trusted source for news and information. 
The Commission Chief of the African Union, Musa Faki Mahamat, says the organization is preparing a national reconciliation conference for Libya to help restore stability in the country. Faki says the Libyans must talk to each other as a precondition to elections. U.S. Special Envoy to Libya Richard Nolan has been increasingly involved in efforts to encourage Libyan rivals to reach a political solution, meeting with all parties and calling on them to resolve the political impasse and promote reconciliation, equitable distribution of resources, and the formation of a joint military unit. He spoke with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shanawi at the fifth annual conference of Council on Libyan-American Relations. You know, we've been attending this uh, gathering of the National Council on U.S.-Libya Relations on the eve of the anniversary of the February Revolution. And I think the message that comes out of here is that the United States, um, not only is the U.S. government engaged in efforts to try to produce a solution in Libya, but increasingly civil society in the United States, including the Libyan-American diaspora, uh, wants to do what it can to help produce such a solution. Um, this is important not only for Libya and for Libyans, but it's important for the region. It tells you something, for example, that the African Union uh, meeting in Addis Ababa at summit level this week, Libya is on the agenda there. And uh, the situation in Libya has repercussions throughout the region, throughout the Mediterranean, throughout Africa. And we're focused on the fact that the UN Special Representative, Mr. Batili, uh, has uh, engaged in an intensive effort to develop a roadmap that could uh, help Libyans have confidence that uh, they can come out of this situation peacefully. And we intend to support him in his efforts fully. Can there be a more active role for the U.S. in Libya? Well, uh, we believe that we have been playing an active role. Uh, we've been uh, putting particular focus on the economic dimension uh, through the Economic Working Group because managing Libya's oil resources, uh, the incredible amount of money they're bringing in every day in a way that helps the Libyan people and that reduces tensions, uh, that gives uh, each side confidence that money is not being misused. Uh, this is something that can help stabilize the situation. Uh, we've been supporting the UN in its efforts to develop a, a political uh, path forward. Uh, we've taken part in international gatherings to try to align uh, all of the key uh, actors uh, in support of a political process. So so um, I, I think our view is, uh, given the fact that the United States recognizes that uh, we had a role, unfortunately, in uh, generating some of the turmoil uh, that has produced 10 years of, of trouble, and uh, we feel very much that it's important that we contribute to a solution. Stephanie Williams said that there is need, crucial need, to get Egypt and Turkey to talk to each other about the solution in Libya. Is the United States willing and ready to push the two countries to talk about that? Well, we have uh, excellent bilateral conversations with both countries uh, on, on many subjects, including Libya, and uh, Egypt and Lib uh, Turkey both take part in uh, a number of international gatherings that have taken place with us at the table, with the UN at the table, and that process will continue. That was U.S. Special Envoy to Libya, Richard Norland, speaking with VOA's Mohammed El Shanawi. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. 
Botswana is assessing the impact of trophy hunting, which was introduced to mitigate human-wildlife conflict, among other reasons. Botswana lifted a five-year hunting ban in 2019 with a variety of species, including leopards and elephants, now available for international hunters to kill. From Abrone, Botswana, reporter Mokandisi Dube has the details. Botswana's acting minister of wildlife and tourism, Mabuse Pule, says it's too early to determine the government's assessment of the impact. Elephants have been particularly identified as problem animals. Botswana is the world's largest herd, estimated at more than 130,000. Government reintroduced hunting in 2019, and the first hunting season was in 2021, and the second was in 2022. Therefore, it is premature to make any conclusions about the impact of hunting on human-elephant conflict. Speaking at the National Assembly, Pule said the government will improve compensation fees for damage caused by elephants and for people injured or killed by other wild animals. Pule says there were other considerations in reintroducing trophy hunting, which conservationists oppose. It is also important to inform members of this House that the reintroduction of hunting wasn't meant to only care curb human wildlife conflict, but also to allow communities living within the elephant range areas to benefit from the sale of quotas of wildlife. National Assembly legislator and researcher Neva Sabang says trophy hunting will not plant human wildlife conflict. Desktop research findings, this super hunting, you know, the past two, three years has no impact. And projections, this super there will be no impact. In, in, in the foreseeable future, my desktop research findings show that hunting has no impact in the foreseeable future. The number of elephants is just too huge. Botswana is among five Southern African countries which conducted an elephant census last October to determine the distribution patterns of the animals. Minister Bule says results of the census will be out in June. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Haboroni, Botswana. VOA Africa would like to hear from you. Send us a text message or a voice note on WhatsApp 24-7. Simply dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. We are always happy to hear from you. The number again is international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. And now uh, we have our reporter, Peter Cloti, who is in Abuja. Uh, how are you, Peter? I'm well, thank you. So uh, brief us on the goings-on and preparations for Nigeria's Saturday's election, briefly. Well, it's been hectic. Uh, people are very expectant of uh, uh, who is going to turn up for the elections. There's a groundswell of... Uh, the youth who are charged telling me they will be voting in this election because previously people didn't think that they came out, but this time they are prepared to uh, have a hand on who becomes Nigeria's next president. So uh, there are multiple you know, security challenges uh, facing the country. Uh, how is that being handled? Well, uh, the 
police have come out strongly to say that they would ensure that people who go to the polls are protected. Uh, they will ensure there are no issues of harassment or intimidation. Uh, people will have a free hand to choose who the next leader will be. And then there's also the issue of the military who came out saying that the uh, the soldiers will be very professional in carrying out their duties to ensure the protection and uh, the maintenance of Nigeria's territorial integrity. So these are some of the issues that are coming up, but the, the security agencies are saying they are up to the task. Uh, unfortunately, there are a few places where election might not take place due to insecurity concerns, but things are well so far. The, the the security people might might say that, but when you talk to the people, uh, do they feel they are secure uh, before the elections? Well, for those in the big cities like Lagos, like uh, Abuja, uh, in some parts of the north, yes, it's cool, but uh, things are pretty uh, quiet. But however, there are certain areas where you have uh, militant groups who attack. And for that, it's very difficult to say that uh, things will, will, will go smoothly. However, the military has assured Nigerians that it will be professional and will ensure that people are protected when they go to the polls. How about that uh, currency issue, uh, Peter? Uh, has it been resolved? Well, um, not yet. Um, proponents of the new currency say that it is a good policy that will prevent banditry, that will prevent, um, it will be help, able to help the security operatives to track down those who are kidnapping people. Others are saying the timing is all wrong and that it appears to be aimed at undermining the electoral prospects of the ruling party presidential candidate, former Lagos State Governor Asiwa Jubola Ahmed Tinubu, otherwise known as so there have been back and forth uh, uh, issues raised. The Supreme Court has come out to rule. Uh, people are saying the government seems not to be respecting the Supreme Court's decision. But uh, I, so far, a majority of people uh, of the presidential candidates are saying when they are elected, they will reverse this new policy decision by President Mohamed Buhari and his government. Thank you, Peter. Uh, we'll be talking in the coming days. Thank you. Thank you. The presidents of the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zambia have vowed to resolve customs and delays for trucks transporting copper from the two top producers in Africa. The growing demand for electric vehicles has fueled a race for the copper and cobalt used in their batteries, but truckloads of the key metals have been stuck at the border. Cathy Short reports from Chilala Bombuea, Zambia, uh, on this report. Angry truck drivers call for customs to speed up clearances at the border after a meeting this month among officials from the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zambia. Some of the drivers from southern and eastern Africa have been packed in a kilometers-long line at the border for weeks. They are waiting to deliver goods into the DRC or to take valuable metals out. Driver Edwin Kalaba is hauling copper to South Africa for export, but has been stuck at the border for more than a week, sleeping in his truck. He says it's dangerous because thieves can break in or steal fuel or parts from their trucks. We are being robbed or attacked every now and then. More special on the like, diesel issue and the battery. Goods are not safe. 
No toll is just a bush. Peter Mumba is president of the United Truck Drivers and Allied Workers Union of Zambia. He says the government needs to address the situation at the border urgently. The life of a truck driver it has become so difficult because uh, just one journey or one trip from South Africa, even Tanzania, to go into DRC, it takes uh, someone maybe more than a month for him to return home. Zambian President Hakainde Hichilema and DRC President Felix Chisekedi discussed the border problem Saturday on the sidelines of an African Union summit in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Zambian media caught Hichilema saying Chisekedi agreed to deal with the issue. Zambia's Transport and Logistics Minister Frank Tayali told VOA they will not tolerate any further delays. He blamed poor customs services on both sides. This impacts directly on government's ability to collect uh, revenue, which is so needed for the many things that we've lined up as a government to try and put this economy back on track. We're giving the officers here six days to bring the situation back to normal before heads start to roll. Zambia in 2021 became the first African country in the COVID era to default on its debt and has since been negotiating with creditors. The DRC is also suffering from the border's congestion, says its vice consul Nkulu Ndala in Dola, Zambia. He estimates both Zambia and the DRC are losing more than half a million dollars per month from the border delays. Our economy goes down in Congo. It is a serious issue that needs to be resolved very soon between Zambia and Congo through our bilateral relations. Ndala says the DRC produced 2.2 million metric tons of copper last year. Zambia's Chamber of Mines says the country produced a little more than one-third of that amount. Zambia and the DRC produced 80% of the world's copper and two-thirds of its cobalt, vital components of electric vehicles that are seeing a jump in global demand. Mining expert John Musonda from Zambia's Copper Belt University says developing the railway system could ease the problem. The railway systems which were created to get copper to the coast are dilapidated with trains moving at less than 35 kilometers an hour. This has seen bulk cargo spilling over onto the roads. We have seen more investment in the road sector, but these roads are not lasting. They get damaged day in, day out, despite billions of dollars being spent on these roads because bulk cargo is not designed to be moved on these fragile roads. The DRC and Zambia last year agreed to open the border posts 24 hours a day to allow for faster processing. But drivers say so far... Customs officers are only working 10 hours a day. Kathy Short for VOA News, Chililabombwe, Zambia. A global grouping of 25 Anglican churches say it no longer recognizes Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, as its leader. This after Welby and the Church of England leadership endorsed plans to allow priests to offer blessings to same-sex couples earlier this month. According to the French news agency AFP, the Global South Fellowship of Anglican Churches, which speaks for about 85 million members, says it can no longer recognize Welby because the church has taken the path of false teaching by allowing same-sex blessings. Observers say the issue threatens a split between the more liberal, liberal Church of England and others in some parts of the world. 
And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Uhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.